The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, one of them named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Well, good morning, and happy Easter to every one of you. Wow. You know. <laughs> uh, thank you, Daniel, for uh, reading that scripture. Uh, just glad you're all here. I don't know if any of you have any special Easter traditions. I'll tell you about one of mine. There's a song recorded by Keith Green. Some of you older people might know Keith Green. He was... Uh, he was one of the pioneers of contemporary Christian music, and um, I just loved his stuff. And he recorded this song uh, titled, appropriately enough, The Easter Song. And uh, I love to get up on Easter morning and put that on and listen to it. It's just, uh, here it says, hear the bells ringing, they're singing. You can be born again. Hear the bells ringing, they're singing, Christ is risen from the dead. And then he starts singing hallelujah. He goes, way higher than I can sing. But it's just so good. Today we celebrate the most amazing thing that has ever happened on this planet. That three days after he was put to death and buried, Jesus of Nazareth walked out of his grave alive and well and victorious over death. And he did it. For us, so that we could have hope, so that we could have joy, so we could have peace. And I just want to thank you for coming and choosing to celebrate that with us today. And glad you're here. Um, I hope you're glad you're here. If you're not glad you're here, I hope by the end of the service you're glad you're here. So our, our theme for the day is, what if... Easter happened. And that might sound really weird to some of you, 
In fact, when I first tried this theme out on a couple of people, I said, hey, what do you think of this? What if Easter happened? And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? Easter did happen. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. It did. Okay, but I want you to think about that story that was just read to us. About these two men and this encounter they had with Jesus. Okay? Um, All of this took place just a few hours after that Easter morning. I mean, it's the same day. And Jesus had risen, and the, uh, the tomb had been discovered to be empty, and those women had heard the news that he was alive. Easter had happened, but it hadn't happened to them. It hadn't happened to them. They didn't know he was alive, and they were living just as if it had never happened. And until Easter happened to them, nothing really changed. I mean, the Bible says that these, these two guys were on their way to a village called Emmaus. It's probably their hometown, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And the question is, why are they leaving Jerusalem? Why are they doing that? What, what is that all about? Does that mean anything? Well, it's interesting because verse 13 says, it, it calls these two guys, two of them. Two of them. Who's them? Well, them refers to those people who used to hang around with Jesus because they believed he was someone special. They had seen him do great things. They had heard him say great things. And they thought that he was going to fulfill their greatest hopes and dreams. And Jerusalem was the place where this was supposed to happen. And Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. Jerusalem is where the temple of the one true God was located, and and it was the center point of worship. Jerusalem was the place where back in the good old days, King David and King Solomon had ruled over the nation. And just one week earlier than this story, Jerusalem was the place where Jesus had ridden into town as if he were the long-expected Messiah. And so Jerusalem is where all of his followers were gathered, waiting for Jesus to make his move. But now, these guys are going back home. They're leaving Jerusalem. Going back to life as usual. Life without Jesus. Yeah, he was a great guy. Yeah, he did great things. But life goes on. Back to Emmaus, back to home, back to business as usual, back to when hopes and dreams were just hopes and dreams. What happened? The cross happened. 
And now, as far as these guys are concerned, this whole Jesus thing is over. It's just over. Um, and they are so disappointed. You know, that it said in the passage that their faces were downcast. They're sad. Their hearts are broken. Their hopes have been crushed. And it's not just that Jesus died. Well, that was bad enough. What's worse is he didn't do what they expected him to do. And they had wanted him to do that so desperately, and he didn't do it. I mean, it says, if you look at uh, back in verse 21, they said, we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. See, they thought Jesus was going to fix their biggest problem, or what they thought was their biggest problem. See, they were Jews. And for decades, the Jewish people had suffered under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They just were experiencing all kinds of hardship in their life because of all that Rome was doing in their land. And so these guys wanted Jesus to do the Moses thing. If you've ever read the book of Exodus, if you've seen the movie, The Prince of Egypt, or going back further, The Ten Commandments. Okay, well then you know what these guys had in mind. They wanted Jesus to get into Caesar's face and say, okay, emperor, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And if he didn't, then just call down a whole bunch of plagues from heaven and wipe them out. Yeah, that's what we need Messiah to do. That'll fix it. That's what Messiah needs to do. And uh, he didn't do it. Isn't it? Do you ever find yourself thinking that your biggest problem is what somebody else is doing? Does that ever happen to you? Or is that just me? You know, and so it's so tempting to think, oh, if only God would fix those people, then everything would be great. If only God would fix the government. If only God would fix the economy. If only God would fix my family. If only God would fix the people I work with. And everything would be great. Right? That's kind of how they thought. If only God would fix this Rome thing we'd be good. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Instead, (laughs) he got himself arrested and executed by those Romans. And so in their minds, he must not have been the Messiah after all. Guess he wasn't who we thought he was. Guess it's time to go home. Guess it's time to go back how we used to live. That's what they think. And they're completely wrong. They're completely wrong. Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. And he had told them exactly what he was going to do in advance again and again and again. 
Three quick examples. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time on, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, which means he did it more than once. He began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And that's when Peter chimes in and says, Oh, no, 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 Lord. Mark 9, 9, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Jesus said to them, Mark 9, 31, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Jesus had told them what, they were, what he was going to do, and he did it. He died, and then he rose again. But they missed it. They missed it. As far as he was concerned, Jesus had risen from the dead, and as far as they were concerned, it didn't make any difference. It didn't make any difference. They were living just as if Easter hadn't happened. Until it happened to them. Until they had a personal encounter that changed everything. I would like to ask you a question. And it's, it's really personal. So don't answer out loud. Okay? <laughs> just, just think about it. Just think about this, okay? All right, you're here on Easter Sunday, which tells me in all likelihood you believe in God and you, you probably think Jesus was a great guy and you probably assume that 2,000 years ago on that first Easter Sunday, something really significant happened. But here's the question. Has Easter happened to you? Has it happened to you? Or, or are you pretty much living just as if it didn't happen? And you're just going through your life, your life's routine, whatever that is. You know, going to school, going to work, retired, interacting with people. Eating, drinking, buying, selling, shopping, having fun hoping, dreaming, and all of that stuff, the fact that Jesus really died and really rose from the dead just doesn't really enter into it. Has Easter happened to you? Say, what? What does that mean? What does that look like? I mean, what happens when Easter happens to you? Well, as I look at these two guys, two things really stand out to me in this whole experience they have. And I want to point them out to you, and I'd like to ask you to think about these. Okay, what happens when Easter happens to you? Okay, one thing that happens, the first thing that happens that I see, when Easter happens to you, Jesus' death finally makes sense to you. Jesus' death finally makes sense to you. In other words, Jesus' death means something huge for you, personally. 
Now, it's pretty obvious that until they have this encounter with Jesus, they thought his death on the cross was an epic fail. Okay? Total catastrophe. I mean, that is not what was supposed to happen. That was not what Messiah was supposed to do. That's why they're depressed. That's why they're discouraged. That's why they're giving up and going home. And so Jesus listens to their tale of woe, and then he says something absolutely amazing. He says, how foolish you are. How foolish you are. What do you think? I bet that got their attention. You know, one thing about Jesus, he tells it like it is. He tells it like it is. And if you care about the truth, you'll listen to what he says, even if it stings. You know, there are people in your life, there are people in your life who will tell you what you want to hear. And they tell you what you want to they, what you want to hear because they want to please you. And you know, those, those people are fun to be around. Telling you what you want to hear. It's not necessarily all that good for you, but it's, it's pleasant. Then you've got the people in your life who tell you what they want you to hear because they want to please themselves. And those people aren't nearly as much fun. But you know the people you really want to listen to? Those are the people who tell you what you need to hear. And they tell you that because they actually care about you. And on that short list of people who will do that, Jesus is at the very top. Because he always knows what we need to hear. And he tells us always for our good, what's in our best interest. Now, why does he call them foolish? Well, he says, he says, how slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They didn't believe something they should have believed. He says, you don't believe all that the prophets have spoken. And I am I'm just confident that that was news to them. I think it was probably shocking. I think they had said, what? Yeah, these are good Jews. And if you had asked them, if you had said, hey, you guys believe the Bible? Do you guys believe that God spoke through Moses and the prophets? They would have said, well, yes, we do. Absolutely. But then Jesus takes them on a Bible study. And he shows them that no, they really don't believe all that the prophets had spoken. You know what they were doing? They were picking and choosing which parts they wanted to believe in. See, because when you look at the prophecies about Messiah, you find some, some that say things like this, okay? Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Yes! All right. I can't wait. 
But then you find other prophecies about the Messiah that say things like this. Isaiah chapter 53, same book. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now that is really different. Now let me ask you. If you were a Jew living under oppressive Roman domination, which of those prophecies about Messiah would you personally prefer? Would you prefer... The prophecy about him reigning on David's throne and bringing in as king perfect peace and righteousness that lasts forever? Or would you prefer the one about him being pierced, crushed, wounded, punished for our sins? See, these guys did what we're all tempted to do, you know? Pay close attention to the verses we like and the ones we don't like. Just kind of ignore them. But because they did that, they missed something huge. Jesus said to them, Did not the Christ, Messiah, same word, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Didn't he have to suffer Didn't the suffering have to come first and the glory comes later? See, Jesus is telling them, look guys, the biggest issue is not the government. Biggest issue is not Rome. Biggest issue, the biggest issue is not our circumstances. Biggest issue is not our family. Biggest issue is not what somebody else is doing. The biggest issue is sin and the thing we all need the most most is not for God to fix all our problems I I believe God will fix all of our problems but that's not what we need him to do the most what we need him to do the most is to deal with our sin And as far as God is concerned, dealing with our sin is a higher priority than solving all our problems. And that's why Messiah had to die. He had to die the death we deserve or we would never be right with God. And we could never know that perfect peace and justice and righteousness. We couldn't know him. Sin, sin is not a minor issue. It it doesn't matter how much we try to minimize it or joke about it or explain it away. Sin is our biggest problem, always has been. And you you take any issue. I, I don't care what the issue is. You take some problem, you know, war, poverty, injustice, child abuse, racism, broken families. 
you take anything, there is not a single messed up situation in our world that cannot ultimately be traced back to sin. To the human race defying God and saying, forget it, God. Not doing it your way. Don't need to trust you. Don't need to follow your laws. Don't need to honor you. In fact, don't need you, period. So, adios. That's, that's sin. And as much as I would like to, you know, blame everybody else for that problem, if I'm honest, I realize that sin is my biggest problem too. It's my biggest problem. You know, this tendency to think, I know best. You know, if what God says and what I think are different, then I, I know better than God. This tendency to want to rule my own life, you know. God, Scott. <laughs> rule my own life instead of trusting and obeying the one who really is God. See, that's my biggest problem. That's your biggest problem. Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn once said this. He said, if only there were evil people somewhere committing evil deeds, and it were only necessary to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through every human heart. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? When the Bible says all have sinned, it means all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when Easter happens to you, you finally get that. You finally get it. And you get it not in some academic, philosophic sense. You know, oh yes, it's true, the Messiah needed to die for the whole human race. No, you realize the Messiah had to die for you, personally. Jesus died for my sins because I need rescuing. I need forgiving. I need to be made right with God and I can't do it. I, I can't pay the price. It's, it's too high. But the good news is Jesus paid it for me if I will just accept his gift. If I will just admit that I need that and receive it from him. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not wrapped up in a box, it's wrapped up in a person named Jesus. When Easter happens to you, Jesus' death finally makes sense to you. You realize you do need him. You need him more than anything. Something else happens as well. Not only does Jesus' death finally make sense to you, but you finally believe that Jesus really is alive. You finally believe that Jesus really is alive. Now, you might ask, well, don't most people believe that? 
Well, it depends what you mean by belief. If you take a poll, and many have done this, and if you ask Americans, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Uh, most Americans will say, yeah. Yeah, they believe that. But see, I think that many people believe that the same way they believe that the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. Do you believe that? Yeah, I believe that. It's a fact. But it's a fact that makes absolutely no difference in how we live our lives. Right? I mean, how many decisions did you make last week that really hinged on the fact that the sun was 93 million miles away from the earth? Boy, I don't know. And, I, and I'm afraid that many people believe in Christ's resurrection like that. It's a fact that they agree with, but it makes absolutely no difference in how they live. But if Jesus really rose from the dead, that's crazy. That's crazy. Because if he really rose from the dead, then he really is alive. And if he really is alive, that means he really is who he claimed to be. And that has huge implications for how we live our lives. Huge. I mean, Jesus said in John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. Rightly so, because that is who I am. Have you thought about what that means? Teacher. Well, that means the one we listen to. The one we learn from. Lord. That means the one who's in charge. Jesus is saying he has the right to instruct us and he has the right to direct our lives. All of it. Is he serious? Is he serious? Well, listen to something else he said in another place. Decide for yourself. Matthew 7, 24. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Okay, slow down. Everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is a wise man who built his house on the rock. The, house, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice He's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, do what I say and all is well. Don't do what I say, you're headed for total disaster. Hey, if I said that, and I meant it, if I said, hey, people, look, do what I say, all will be well. Don't do what I say, you're headed for complete disaster. If I said that, you would say, that guy is the most arrogant guy I've ever heard in my life. Either that or he's totally nuts. And you would be right. But that's because I didn't die and rise again. And I didn't do any of the other amazing things Jesus did. There's only one who's qualified to be teacher and Lord 
of your life. There is only one who is qualified to call the shots in your life. And these guys, on their way to Emmaus, when they, uh, when they realized Jesus really was alive, they figured that out in a hurry. Whoa. It says, it says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. At once. Jesus is alive? He's alive? Okay, you turn. Let's go. Uh, uh, let's forget all about that, about you know, going back to life as usual. Let, let's forget all that about uh, doing our own thing. No, we need to be where Jesus wants us to be. We need to do what Jesus wants us to do. See, when Easter happens to you, you finally believe, really believe, that Jesus is alive. And he's the Lord, and that begins to change everything. Well, how does that happen? How does Easter happen to you? It happens when you encounter Jesus personally. You personally respond to this living Lord who died to give you life. See, he comes to us as we're, you know, going about our way, just kind of living our lives, doing our own thing, living as if Easter never happened, living as if Jesus makes absolutely no difference. And he says something to us, which is kind of hard to hear, but he says it because he loves us. He says, you're being foolish. You're being foolish. You're being slow to believe. You act like you don't know any better, but you really do. You've heard the truth. You need to respond to it. He says, you need to admit that your sin really is a huge problem. And you can't fix it. You need the forgiveness that only I can give you because only I died for you. You need to listen to me. You need to trust me. You really do need me. Jesus offers us himself. And we need to respond. And I can think of a couple of good responses. Okay, the first would be, the first would be if Easter's happening to you today. That Jesus' death now does make sense to you. Maybe you've been coming to that conclusion for a while or you've been hearing and today it's just kind of clicking. It makes sense. And you believe He's alive right now. And that, that's huge. And so the response for you, because Jesus is working on you, the response is to say yes. To say, oh, okay, God. Okay, Lord. I think I get it. You died for my sin. And I need to be forgiven of my sin. You died in my place. I know I deserve to be separated from God forever, but I don't want to be. And so I want to be connected. I want to know you. How does that happen? Just ask him. Just ask him. Just, to, just admit. Just admit your sin to him. Ask him to come in to, into your life. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to take over. Okay? Because that's who he is. 
God's word says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, in other words, to those who put their trust in him, he gave the right to become children of God. It is a life-changing step of faith, and you can take it today if you never have. I mean, that's the reason we're here as a church, is to help people take that life-changing step of faith and then live out what it means. Live out what it means. The other good response would be, you know, this, this whole Easter happening to you thing, I mean, that, that sounds interesting, it's got your attention, but, you know, you've got questions, and you're not sure you're ready to take that life-changing step of faith. Okay. But can I tell you, take a step. Take a step. Don't just stay where you are. You know, if you've got questions, take a step toward getting the answers you need. Ask God to lead you. Ask God to show you. Pick up a Bible and read the New Testament book of John or Matthew or Mark or Luke, one of the biographies we have of Jesus. Read it. Ask God to show you who he is. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the rack right in front of you, and you could take that with you, put your name in it. It's yours, our gift to you. Love for you to have it. You know, if you're really serious about wanting answers, then you make an effort to get them, right? What, what we sometimes do, though, is we, we use it as an excuse to, to not do anything. So don't do that. Take a step. You know, we'd love to have you meet with us as we gather each week, as we seek the Lord's direction together. We dig into our Bibles. You know, we normally have worship at 9.30, and we, uh, after that, we have groups and classes for everyone and that's a good way to find out more and more of what it means when Easter happens to you. And in a few weeks, I'm planning to start a class. It's called a discovery class. And this is a great thing where we just get together in a very uh, non-threatening kind of way, no, no pressure, and we just look into the Bible together and see what it says about Jesus and what it means to follow him. If you'd be interested in, in that class there's a slip of paper in your worship folder. It's called a Connect card. You might want to go ahead and get that out. But if you're interested in this discovery class, just write the word discovery on there, and we'll make sure you get the information. You need to put your name and contact info, too. So we'd love to get that information to you. But right now, right now, I'm going to pray. And if you're one here today who would like to respond personally to Jesus and ask him to make Easter happen to you. Then as I pray, if what I am saying reflects what you're thinking and feeling, then I would invite you to just repeat after me. The words aren't magic. God knows your heart. And just quietly there, talk to him. And I guarantee you, He'll hear you. So let's all bow our heads for a minute and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for loving us. Lord, today, 
I want to admit that I need your forgiveness. That I have tried so many times to rule my own life. And I can't do it. And I have dishonored you and refused you again and again. Lord, I know I deserve to be separated from you. But I don't want to be. And today, as best I know how, I want to choose to believe that you died for me. That that death you died will be good for me. And I ask you to make that happen to me. And Lord, I choose to believe that you are alive and you are Lord. And I would ask you to come into my life and begin to change me however I need to be changed. Thank you for all you've done for me. In your name, amen.